0: Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we praise you. You are good to give us reason to remember, to give us an occasion to remember your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for gathering this family again. Once, once again, I just thank you for that. A family tied together by the blood of your son. That's good. We praise you in his name. Amen. You all watch TV? Fox 29. You know that station? Mike Jarek. He's the host of Good Day Philadelphia. He calls you up, and he wants you for a human interest story. Sound good? He begins to ask questions. What has been your greatest struggle? What is the trial that defines your life? what would your story look like what if he did his research without you knowing what would your story look like you have no chance to to do your hair or your makeup you have no chance no opportunity to prepare your answers ahead of time what story does your life tell How has your life affected the lives of those around you? What do you live for? What is your purpose? A few weeks back before the Fall Bible Conference, we looked at chapters 3 and 4 of Acts, and we looked at the name of Jesus. And today, we're going to go back to chapter 3, and we're going to look at one particular person that that lame beggar that we're told about in chapter 3. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts 3 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, "'Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk?' And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him and also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. The reading of God's word. Thank you very much. Go ahead and have a seat. In this passage today, Luke introduces us to a man of Jerusalem. And we just want to take a moment to say, who is this guy? Well, according to the description here, he's poor. He's physically handicapped. He's, He's holding out a tin cup asking alms just to survive. It's like one of those human interest stories you see on television, right? They're they're taking, bring in the cameras, get real close, get a picture of the flies landing on their face. That's really bad, isn't it? And maybe people will give money towards this. It's just like those commercials showing people at their worst. People becoming defined by their conditions, their hardships, And in the first few verses, it's this man's struggle that defines him. Verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. This man's struggle defines him. His name is not mentioned. He's born in infirmity. He, he has a hard life. He has trials. He has tribulation. He couldn't even bring himself to the gate. He had to rely upon other people to do it for him. He had nothing. He, he had to struggle through this same process every single day just to survive. He must have wondered sometimes. Have you ever wondered this? What, what is the purpose in this? Why am I going through this? In his case, for over 40 years. You can see that in chapter 4, verse 22. Why is this happening? But then God intervenes. Verse 4, it says, And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention upon them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. The man is healed. He is healed perfectly, both physically and spiritually. His life and his situation have been redeemed by his Lord and Savior by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, it says, and in his name, the name of Jesus, by faith in his name has made this man strong by faith in his name whom you see and know and and faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. Because of what God God has done for him in Jesus Christ, because of this call of God upon his life, his life and his lifelong struggle have become a a channel, a a funnel, a a conduit through which the gospel message is then poured out upon everyone around him. See, having put his faith in Jesus Christ, we see in verse 8, he was leaping. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. His body, walking and leaping, became an, an active testimony for what Jesus had done for him. His lifelong trial of being physically handicapped, being physically lame, is now an opportunity for this guy to give glory to God in his life. His heart and his mind, praising God and recognizing the one who had redeemed him. Verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. When Peter saw it, he addressed the people. See, this man, having put his redemption on display, caused the people to wonder in amazement. And this gave Peter the opportunity to share the gospel with everybody there. Beginning in verse 12, we get the gospel. It says, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. Verse 18, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. See this? The, the gospel doesn't start with me the gospel starts not with my piety not with our own power or ability it starts with god it starts with god's plan there is no five steps there's no seven stages of salvation it's god it's his son jesus christ it's not about how good we are or how good we've been or or anything that we have done it's not about how we found God. It's about he, how he called us to himself. The man born lame wasn't looking for salvation, was he? he? He was just sitting there doing everything, doing what he had done every single day, asking for alms. He wasn't asking for physical or spiritual healing. The gospel is, is about God's plan of salvation in Christ alone for us. There's nothing for us to add to what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf. Why do you wonder at this, men of Israel? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we've made him walk? It's not about them. It's about Jesus and what he has done. What has he done? He died for us. He died in our, our place. And verse 13, the God of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom who delivered over? You delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. Who killed Jesus? I think we can take that very, very literally. You did. I did. See, my Savior died for my sins on that cross. It wasn't somebody else who took him there all on their own, and I can just blame them. It's it's me. I took him there. My sin drove those nails into his hands and his feet. And we all together took him to the cross. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53. I don't hear Bibles flipping. Isaiah 53. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was crushed for my iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that has brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's the gospel. It's not about me and what I've done. It's about what Jesus has done for me, taking my sins to that cross. But he didn't stay dead, did he? Verse 15, And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. See, in in his resurrection is our hope of eternal life. And it is proven. Do you remember from Acts chapter 1? We looked back there when we first started this series. that There was many proofs that Jesus Christ was alive. There was no body to produce. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they could do nothing. And there were eyewitnesses. Over 500 at one time, as we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 saw him, the the apostles spent 40 days with him, studying, understanding as he taught them about the kingdom of God and that gospel message. And so we are called in verse 19, repent, repent therefore and turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Recognize, we all need to recognize the wretchedness of our sinful condition before God. Our need for Jesus to go to the cross, for Him to take our iniquities upon Himself. Our faith is no faith at all without repentance. Turning away from our sin. And when we turn away from something, we generally turn towards something, right? When we turn away from our sin, we need to turn towards Jesus Christ. Turn away from our old life, turn away from our self-focus, our self-centeredness, and turn toward God in his son, Jesus Christ, and become Christ-centered. Because salvation from our sin, salvation from our fallen condition is in Christ alone. Verse 20, it says, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, see, this has been God's plan all along, hasn't it? Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers you shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Salvation is in Christ and in Christ alone. Why else would he die on the cross if there was another option? If there was some other way? This has always been the plan of God, that salvation is in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, that our sins would be wiped out blotted out, that we would be refreshed in a restored relationship with our Creator, that the return of Christ would be something to anticipate and look forward to, and we'd say, come Lord Jesus, and we wouldn't fear the return of our Savior on earth. This limb beggar remains nameless to the end of this, doesn't he? I think this is on purpose. I believe this is absolutely on purpose because this isn't just his story. I could just as easily insert myself into that lame beggar's place. This man represents what's going on in all of us. See, his story could have ended in verse 3 as he just continued to beg for his... Means. He he could have ignored Peter and John. He could have remained just a human interest story. He could have heard silver and gold. I have none. And then just turned away from them and continued begging from somebody else. He could have continued to be self-reliant for his means. Is your story ending in verse three? Are you remaining Self-reliant. Are you ignoring the call of Jesus Christ upon your life? Is Jesus knocking at the door of your heart and you just don't want to open it to him? You're turning away and, and just keep leaning to this world. I can get myself into heaven by the good things that I've done. No one will go to hell for the good things that they have done. We will only go to hell for our sins. And we all have them. We all fall short. That's that gospel message that Peter was talking about. Have you heard the gospel and gone right back to begging from this world to supply what you think you need? Today is the day of salvation. Trust in Jesus. This man's story could have ended in verse 7. He he had accepted Christ by faith. His sins were washed away, right? He has what he needed a fresh chance at life. He has his fire insurance in his back pocket now. He's saved. He's got a healthy body. He could have gone right home and lived his life. How's your walk with Christ? Is it more like standing in one place or, or sitting rather than a, a walk, a moving forward, an activity? See, for many Christians in America today, we know we need something. And we don't want to go to hell, but let's not go too far. Let's not take this faith thing too far. Become radical or or too active. I'm glad Jesus saved me, but now I can relax, right? Live my life. I'm healed. I can go back home. See, but the call of Christ upon our life is more potent than that. Verse eight. What did he do? Leaping up. Not just standing up. Leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping some more and praising God. That's the call of Jesus upon us as his church, as his people, as his family. Not just standing up and going, eh, I'm healed. No! No! We're called to, to rejoice, to to let our life become that channel, that funnel, that, that thing through which, that conduit through which the gospel is poured out upon everybody around us at work, at school, at home, at church, in the grocery store, everywhere. We aren't called to a life of relaxing or taking off our boots. The Christian dies with their boots on. We keep walking. The redemption that we receive in Jesus Christ doesn't just call us to live the life we were given when we were born. He calls us to an entirely new life. In Christ, we are born again. A life in which our body, our heart, our mind, and all of our trials have been redeemed for his glory. Every last bit of who we are is given a new lease on life for the sake of our Savior. Where are our eyes? Where is my focus? Am I stuck looking at the difficulty or the hardships or the trials of my life? Or can I see how those trials have been redeemed? Can I see how those trials can become a conduit for the gospel in my soil, in my sphere of influenced lives. As I become a tool in the hand of God. Here's an aside for you. At what point does God enter this story? At what point does God intervene in this man's life? Yeah, I have a few slides for you. Did did God come into this man's life in verse 3? When he sees Peter and John, they say, hey, give us your attention. Did God intervene in this man's life in verse 7? When he was healed and he leaped up. Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. God was involved in this man's life before the foundations of the world. Psalm 139, beautiful psalm. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Even this man with his infirmity was knit together especially by God with that infirmity. God allowed me, my trials, God allowed you, your trials for his greater glory. Am I going to let myself linger upon them or am I going to use them? John chapter 9, as he passed by, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. God doesn't want to see us go through hardship. He doesn't want to see us go through pain, but he full well allows it in our lives for our good and for his glory. That we would recognize the fallenness of this world around us as well as our own sinful condition. That we would realize our need for him, that we would be dependent upon him, that, we would, that, that he would be able to use us better for his glory. In our weakness, putting his strength on display for all to see. 1 Corinthians reminds us that he uses the weak. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. That's me. To shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. See, God doesn't want your life to be over in verse 3. He doesn't want it even to be over in verse 7. But go on to verse 8, leaping. Go on to chapter 4, verse 4, where many of those who heard the word because of what happened to this man's life believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. That's where I want my life to go. You were born on purpose. You are no mistake. Trials and all. So that you could become a tool in your Redeemer's hands. So that you could become an outlet for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your soil. Those six to twelve lives that you touch regularly. That this world would be turned from its wickedness. If Mike Jarek came to interview this guy, the story would have quickly turned from a mere human interest story to a Jesus interest story. As this man's story, his life, even his trial of over 40 years began to point to the love and redemption of the gospel and salvation in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Who is this guy? Any one of us. Will we be used the same way he was used? Does your story, does my story point to Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your interest in us. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, the salvation made available to every one of us, and that you desire that everyone should know you through your Son. Lord, make us tools that we would share the gospel through our lives, through our trials, through every last bit of what you've redeemed in us. Let us shine for you as a church here in this place, as a family, and everywhere you take us as individuals. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.